Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. I believe we are live, and I believe we're recording. Should be good. We are live. Okay, cool. Good to see everybody. We've been away for a week, so sometimes you forget all these things. We are broadcasting live, right, Jonathan? Yeah. Uh, yes, yep, we're good to go. Okay, great. Glad to have everybody with us. I want to say first hi to Jeff Smeltzer. Jeff, how you doing? Very good. How you doing? And this would be my grandson popping into the view here. We have a guest view, a, vis- a, a panelist today, do we? Yes, we do, here in Harrisonville, Missouri. Oh, great, great, great. Hi, everybody. Not this. You wave. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Scott, Scott Smeltzer, you're, you're not traveling, though. Where are you at, Scott? I was traveling, but now I'm back. And uh, I'm back home in Gettysburg, PA area. Good to see you back, Stephen, over in Harrisburg, PA. Good to have you here today, Stephen. Good to be here, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And Jonathan, our webcast engineer, is here. And Jonathan, where are you? Are you in Exton? Uh, no, I'm in Gettysburg. That's right, Gettysburg. And I'm Drew, your host. I am up in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Glad to have everybody with us. If you're coming in, I'm sorry, will someone say something? We got the H's going today. Honesdale, Harrisonburg, Harrisonville, Harrisburg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you got the G. Yeah, G, H, H, H. Okay. So, so to, uh, be, well, before we get into the program uh, topic and questions, if you're coming in on the uh, app, please use the uh, Q&A button. And give us your comments, your questions. We want to hear from you. Uh, very interesting uh, questions that came in for today's program. I'm sure we'll raise some more questions. Um, and if you're coming in on Stephen's Facebook page, Stephen? Then just leave your comments in the comments section below. Or if you have other Bible questions, we'd love to have more questions. We're covering a couple on the air today, but we're always looking for more Bible questions. So please, if, if you have some question that we're not covering so far, uh, leave that in the comments below, and we'll get to it hopefully as soon as we can. Great. Yeah, there's a good chance we may have, if you send a question in now, there's a good chance we'll be able to have time to get to it on today's program. Excellent. That'd be good. Yeah, and I also want to invite those that are listening, uh, downloading the podcast. Uh, if you're listening from the podcast, obviously you're listening the recording after it's gone live. But you can still, if we say things you want to respond to, when you get back to your computer or on your tablet or smartphone, go to the site, BibleQuest.tv. There's a form there, and punch in your questions there, and we'll get them. And so in any which way, form, channel, or, or uh, way you want to reach us, please let us know what you want to hear, what you want to talk about in things relating to the Bible. Okay, now with uh, all of that out of our way, our first question is, is, is kind of like a patriotic category. We celebrated the 4th of July a few weeks ago. The question is, the Declaration of Independence states that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Although well-intentioned, I believe that statement is based more in human reasoning than scripture. What inalienable rights, if any, has God given us? And that comes in from Jake. Jake, thank you very much for that question. Guys, who wants to open that one up? Well, I think so. Go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Stephen. One of the first things we have to establish is what does inalienable mean? Um, inalienable is the idea that something cannot be taken away from. It's kind of inherent or built in is kind of the idea. And so the founders, the 
writers of the Declaration wanted to say that their rights, inalienable rights, had been infringed upon, and that was one reason for their uh, rebellion that they began. Jeff, what was your thought? Just going to make the observation that um, no matter what country someone lives in today, he has the right to worship God uh, according to God's word. He may not worship God without fear of penalty, and the blessing that we've enjoyed in this country for a couple of hundred years is that the embedded in our constitution was a recognition of that right. And uh, so that that's nice. That's a blessing. We should count that as a blessing. But no matter what country I'm in, and Scott, we were talking about this in the pre, pre-webcast discussion this morning, Scott made reference to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the same book of the Bible, I would mention Daniel. Uh, Daniel was in Persia, and there was a law passed, and the law was uh, a statute's a statute, an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides the king of Persia uh, would be cast into the lion's den. And that's in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7. And of course, Daniel continued to pray to his god as he always had. So when we talk about inalienable rights, maybe some people have in mind the right to worship God without fear that it's going to cost me something. Well, I'm not guaranteed that, but I am guaranteed that I can worship my God according to his word. And so likewise, when Peter and John are taken before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, and they are told not to preach uh, Christ. And the response Peter gives is Acts chapter 4, and in verse 17 that they have counseled, they said that it spread no further among the people. Let us threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They called them and charged them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said, this is John four nineteen. whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken unto you rather than unto God, judge ye. We cannot but speak the things which we saw and heard. Did you say John 4? Did you mean Acts 4? I meant Acts 4. I said John. Sorry about that. It's all right. So uh, they did what what was right. Uh, they had the right from God to do this. The Jewish Sanhedrin didn't recognize that right, uh, and the Babylonians did not recognize uh, the rights for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, but they still did what they were supposed to do. So in uh, with the 4th of July and independence, and, and let me say, I think all of us, uh, counter privilege to live in this country and appreciate the liberties that we have in this country. And they it's been not only uh, a wonderful blessing, but it's, it's allowed for in many ways a furtherance of the gospel. Um, but you know, there's also this, the Bible talks about that it's sometimes in hardship that we become stronger. And if you look at a nation that's established on principles of liberty, Liberty is better enjoyed when people first understand responsibility. And in our culture, we've kind of lost sight of responsibility, and it's all about my liberties. And um, early on, a lot of the uh, disagreement with England was, of course, based on taxes. Uh, They were putting the tea tax on, stamp tax, etc. And the argument of the colonists was that we shouldn't have to pay taxes if we don't have representation in Parliament. 
now from a biblical point of view, before we say, well, our creator gave us an inalienable right. Did the creator give us an inalienable right to not pay T-tax or stamp tax <laughs> unless we have representatives in uh, parliament? Absolutely uh, not. We might go back and look at a similar question posed to Jesus. Anybody recall that? Matthew chapter 22 would be one account. That's right. Yes, and what was the question? Shall we pay taxes to Caesar? That's right. And Jesus said, since we all have Roman citizenship, and since we uh, Israelites have seats in the Roman Senate, then, yes, we will pay taxes. Is that what he said? Uh, not uh, quite. what he said. <laughs> the interesting thing is, uh, a lot of times the issue of the equity, the fairness of a tax, is, is prominent in our thinking. Um, and and the, the Pharisees there, and the Herodians, some of, some of those people were opposed to the taxes that were being imposed because they were being imposed by what was essentially a foreign a government that had taken over the Romans had taken away the independence of the Judeans and others and subjugated them. And a lot of the Jews resented the fact that this foreign power was demanding tax money from them. And so it was kind of a nationalistic spirit in part that said, we shouldn't have to pay this. And those who came and questioned Jesus were counting on that. Yeah. Put him in a bad spot. If he says, yes, we should pay it, then their thought was he's going to put himself, he's going to discredit himself in the eyes of people who don't want to pay these taxes. And yet Jesus said, Give it to Caesar. Whose picture's on that coin you're using every day? Yes. And they had to answer and say, well, that's Caesar's picture. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stephen. You know, though, that is interesting. Some people make the point when Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, it's got Caesar's picture on it. Therefore, give it to Caesar. And then he says, render unto God what is God's. Yeah. And it brings up another point about us being created in the image of God, which I do think has bearing on this, the second part of Jake's question, what inalienable rights, if any, has God given us? Uh, man is created in the image of God. The writers of the Declaration said, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, a right to life, sometimes we talk about that concept. Um, the right to be alive and to live uh, is something that I believe God, God does not want man to go out and just kill other people, um, that we are not to uh, shed man's blood. And let's talk about in Genesis 9, whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. So there's a sense in which you can forfeit uh, your right to live by taking the life of someone else. Um, but as we think about the lives of the innocent, um, that it, human beings, whether they're in the womb or outside the womb, uh, are created in the image of God. And that this idea that there's a, a right to be alive um, is something that comes from being created in the image of God. Uh, now, again, that's, is it an inalienable right in the sense that it cannot be taken away? Well, I think even human governments recognize many times that there's a place where someone through killing other people in cold blood has forfeited their right to be alive. And so there's things like the death penalty and things like that. But as we think about this, uh, this concept of being created in the image of God, 
I think that's where a lot of this kind of comes back to biblically speaking um, is that God has created everybody equally in his image, male, female, from any nation on earth, we're all created in God's image, and that's universal. Does, does, the, does the term um, rights from God include, one of you might have already said this, I'm not sure, the concept of free will? I suspect that it does, that the, the idea that God gives us the right to choose what is good or to choose what is evil, yeah. um, he's not going to force us to do one or the other. And in fact, Joshua said that. Joshua said, uh, "You go ahead and choose who you want to follow." For me and my family, my household, we're going to go. We're going to choose to follow God. So there's an example of someone having a choice. Mm-hmm. Now there's yeah, consequences on both sides of that choice, positive and negative. But there are the choices. You have the right to make that choice. Yeah, that's right. And I think I go back to Cain in Genesis 4, where God poses the, the choice to him and gives him the, the consequences. Very similar to what you just said, Drew. Um, he says uh, in Genesis 4 and verse 6, right. the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. And so there's a sense in which we have a right to choose, but we then are entitled to the consequences of our choices. Another observation we might make is that that in a relationship with Christ, as Paul points out in Galatians 3, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, bond, free, Jew, Greek, people have that opportunity through grace to be in a relationship in faith uh, as sons and daughters of God through through Jesus Christ. But in the culture, there there were uh, a lot of distinctions. And in the first century, as in many times in history, not all people were free people. Not everybody was a citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he would appeal to the rights that were given him. And he said, as he appealed to Caesar, he said, if I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. In other words, I, I recognize I would have that coming if I did, but I didn't. And, and I appeal to Caesar's. But most of uh, the Jews and most of uh, the members of the church in these places were not Roman citizens. Uh, the Philippians would have, I believe, enjoyed that. They were a Roman colony. Uh, some, some of the disciples in Rome would have enjoyed that. Paul had that, but most did not. There's another thing a lot of them had, didn't have, and that was just liberty. Uh, a lot of people were bond slaves. Uh, some people under uh, Mosaic law were temporarily, they kind of like indentured themselves for a period of years, but other people were uh, servants longer term. And First Peter 2 uh, comes to mind there in verse 18, servants be in subjection to your masters, with all fear not only to the good, in general, but also to the forward or the crooked. For this is acceptable if for conscience toward God a man endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it when you sin and are buffeted for it, you just take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then it talked about how Jesus suffered for us. What happened to Jesus wasn't fair. Now, that doesn't mean that it was okay for these masters to be crooked in general, crooked or and, and non-gentle. There's instructions in Scripture, not only to the servants to serve their masters well, but for masters that are Christians 
what are they told and where? Well, they're, they're told in Ephesians chapter 6 is one of several passages where they are given instructions to treat their servants well. I'll turn over and read just a couple of passages from Ephesians chapter 6, um, where it says in verse, um, uh, well, verse nine. 9, you masters do the same things which are treating others well unto them and forbear threatening. In other words, try to avoid threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no respect of persons with him. So even though in society there may be a situation where a man has status as a master, he needs to keep, un- keep in mind the fact that he's a creature of the same God that is that created the servant. Right. Uh, uh, Stephen, you had brought up the definition in the beginning of the conversation, inalienable rights, meaning that another human being can't take that away from you. And we're, we're living in a country where the founders of this country recognize that because these rights come from God. But in the case of, of, of Jeff that you were bringing out, or maybe it was you, Scott, where Rome, under Rome, uh, I'm sorry, in Rome, uh, Paul had rights as a Roman citizen. But Rome never identified giving those rights to human beings because of God giving them. That's just the state decided to do that, right? right. And that's the main difference here. Uh, in our constant, in our Declaration of Independence, in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that's all recognized that the state doesn't have any word in that. But it comes from God. And then the question is, well, is that just philosophical? And it's nice that humans did that, but... And I'm just steering us to that. The question was, what rights do we have from God? Well, it would have, it would have been somewhat a defensive position. In other words, we have the right to rebel against the King of England because it's kind of making the argument of Peter except falsely. Peter said, we have the right to disobey you because we're obeying something more important. And to say, well, the Creator gave us these inalienable rights and thus we're going to revolt and not pay these taxes. Uh, well, that's the point I wanted to get to. That That's taking that that whole declaration of, uh, I'm sorry, the Bill of Rights to a step. Declaration of independence. Yeah, it does not even, that, that, no, that's not where it's heading. That's not That's not its purpose. And and the, the go ahead, Stephen. Hey, go ahead and finish your thought there. I've got a separate thing. Well, now I've forgotten my thought, so go ahead. So one thing as we think about this, it is notable that the founding fathers, as we sometimes call them, of this country appealed to a creator Yes. and talking about morality and talking about how we ought to conduct ourselves because we live in a culture that is increasingly rejecting the idea of a creator and thus rejecting the basis for moral behavior or at least an objective standard for moral behavior. I think most people, atheist, agnostic, or or, or theist, want people to behave morally. Uh, We we enjoy a society where people behave to some moral standard. Uh, We then get to ourselves and maybe decide, well, maybe I don't have to. But that's another story for another time. Um, But the idea is, if you reject the fact that there's a creator, you've got a problem when it comes to morality. Is morality just defined by human governments? And is it just relative and cultural? Because if you reach that conclusion, you get to some really challenging questions about morality and the history of the human race, where, oh, well, if there's a culture somewhere that arises that 
wants to exterminate a certain type of people. Is that right for them morally? Well, no, we get some of our morale, we get our morality from a creator and that's an objective standard. Just kind of summing up what the Bible teaches is, is it word obey God. And if you live in Babylonian captivity and the King says you can't pray or pray anyway. Uh, if you live uh, in a place where you don't have economic liberty uh, or individual liberty, well, obey God anyway. And and adorn the gospel by good your good behavior. If you live, 1 Peter 2, under a king, uh, honor the king, obey the king. And so by application, if you live in a democracy, as we do, that has a bill of rights, as I'm glad that we have, then enjoy that, but still obey and, and pay your taxes. So the Bible is not written to tell us how to overthrow governments and make a better one. The Bible is about making us be better, better human beings by certain turning from selfishness and serving God, whatever government we happen to live under. Yeah, amen. So just a quick comment, I hope I can make it quickly. It's easy to go back, we've talked a little bit about the founding fathers of this country. It's easy to go back and either try to justify their, their stance or to uh, condemn their stance. There was right and there was wrong. Uh, you know, it's, well, on the one hand, you can say oftentimes people are going to appeal to God and God's word to validate what they themselves want to do anyway. Um, and, and you can make the case, and I think there's some merit in making the case. Uh, they didn't want to pay such taxes as the T-tax, and so they're, they're going to rebel. On the other hand, they were coming from, many of them were coming from a situation in England where there was such a thing as the Test Act, and right now I can't recall the other name for some similar rules, but there were rules in England that said if you don't, if you don't participate in the communion of the Church of England once a year, if you're not a member in good standing of the Church of England, then you're not going to be able to um, be an officer in your business. You're not going to be able to have these government positions and so on. And so there really was an attempt to force people into a certain way of thinking religiously. And so to some degree, the people who founded this country really were trying to set up something where people can worship God according to their conscience. As we said at the outset of the program, the fact is, whether I have the benefit of a government that acknowledges that or not, I can worship God according to my conscience, according to his word. I just may pay a price for it. And that's the point of First Peter. Interesting history lesson here. Uh, I believe one of the pilgrims had been a postmaster in England and maybe lost his position because he was either being a Puritan or a separatist. I think maybe he was a separatist. So I may have that detail wrong. But they were wanting to escape that oppression. King James, uh, the, probably a lot of people think the pilgrims had a King James Bible. They would not have had a King James Bible. King James was the one that said, speaking of the pilgrims, I will harry them out of the land. He didn't like their disobedience to the Church of England. Uh, it's also a mistake, though, to think that they got over here and just said, okay, over here, we're going to let everybody have freedom of religion. Uh, Massachusetts, in particular, ended up with not a lot of freedom of religion. Uh, Cotton Mason said the doctrine of freedom of religion is of the devil. Uh, and in England, in Massachusetts, two Quaker women were sentenced to death. They had been there teaching Quakerism. They were ordered out of the colony. They came back and did it again. And they were sentenced to be hung. Yeah. Uh, 
sentence was not carried out, they were hoping that the women would recant before the noose. But they didn't recant, but they did, they backed off and didn't do it. In Virginia, uh, during the colonial days, uh, same thing as in England, you had to attend the Church of England uh, X number of times per year, or you could be fined or maybe pilloried. Uh, the clergy of the Church of England was paid with taxes, and uh, Patrick Henry, one of the cases he took to defend, was a Baptist preacher who had been arrested for not teaching the Church of England doctrine. So some of the colonies were very much like England, then some, notably Rhode Island and Pennsylvania, had a, a, a much wiser policy of not having the government control uh, people's faith. And it's not because people in Rhode Island and people in Pennsylvania had no interest in God, but because they didn't want government controlling that. And so you ended up with what later gets called separation of church and state, which has now been twisted to say separation from Yeah, yeah. You're having a football game and you can't lead a prayer, you know, for that everybody, you know, be safe because separation of church and state, which is particularly hypocritical since the Senate has a government paid chaplain that opens the Senate with prayer. Maybe it'd be helpful if I read a couple of passages here from First Peter that Peter, remember, is writing to people in chapter 1, verse 1, who are in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. All these are re regions within what would be modern-day Turkey, and they were under the control of the Roman Empire at a time when Nero is emperor, uh, a, very, a very immoral man. Yeah. And, and Peter is telling these people to be submissive, to slaves to masters, uh, Christians to government, wives to husbands. And in each case, he talks about the fact that you need to be willing to submit to those who are over you, even if they are not uh, treating you fairly. For example, the master who is treating his servant unfairly, or the wife who has a husband who's not a believer, who's not a Christian. But in talking about submitting and being viewed by society as somebody who lives obediently to the laws of the land, he gives some reasons. And first of all, just generally speaking, he says, verse 12 of chapter 2, have your behavior seemly, in other words, appropriate, among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they behold, Glorify, glorify God in the day of visitation. People in the world are going to be looking at us, and they're going to look for opportunity to find fault with us. And if they see us being rebellious, they're going to say, oh, those are a bunch of rabble-rousers. Those are a bunch of rebellious people. They're trouble. Um, and they're not going to be impressed with our morality. And then when we come down a little bit further, he says in chapter 2, verse 15, for so is the will of God, that by well-doing, you should put silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your freedom for a cloak of wickedness, but as bondservants of God. We're slaves. All of us are slaves. We're slaves to God. And because of our being slaves to God, we're going to honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Amen. Scott, anything else on that before we go to our second question? Anybody have any other further thoughts on that? Now, let's get to that second one. All right. So, a uh, question. I've heard the argument some, that some songs are prayers. In Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas are described as praying and singing hymns, which sounds like two distinct actions. Can you sing? 
and pray at the same time. And uh, among other things, some a look at the Psalms might be helpful here. And our resident psalmist, uh, Stephen, would you like to start off on that one? By the way, that question came in from Allie. And Allie, we want to thank you for that question. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so uh, it's helpful as we think about these two activities um, First, just to think about what they are. Uh, obviously, singing is a physical activity that we do. Um, there's times where we just sing in general. There's times where we sing it's directed to God. Uh, prayer is when we are directing our thoughts and our words to God. And that's a form of worshiping God, asking him, calling down his power on us. The Psalms are a place, a good place to look. I look at Psalm 4, for instance. Stephen, uh, before you get there, are you saying uh, prayer? and singing to God. Both of those activities are worship, right? They can be, yes. Um, they, uh, I mean, obviously we can worship in vain if we're not doing that according to what God desires. Uh, but yes, those both can be acts of worship. Uh, psalm 4, um, the title uh, of the psalm says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this is clearly going to be a musical arrangement of these words. And the, verse, the first verse of the psalm says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And then he goes on to, to lament uh, about men mocking him and, uh, and seeking God's help in all of that. So I think Psalm 4 is one example of many in the book of Psalms in which you have something that is going to be set to music and they would, it would be sung. It's to the choir master but it is also described as a prayer to God and calling down his favor upon the ones singing. Psalm 44 is another one. It's described as being for the choir director, a maskal of the sons of Korah. So it would have been sung, verses 23 and 24. Arouse thyself. Why dost thou sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why dost thou hide thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression? It's, a, it's an outpouring. It's a plea to God for his his merciful hand. Stephen, yeah. some of the song, some of the songs that we have in our song book, and I'm sure in yours too, are songs of praise, but some of them appear to be actually a prayer to God that we're doing it in harmony or we're doing it with a melody and tune. So where does that fit in? Yeah, I think very in a very similar way to the Psalms that in the Old Testament they would have worshipped God, and at times their songs would be prayers that they can pray and sing at the same time. I think the short answer to this question is yes, you can pray and sing at the same time. We see that in the Psalms. Um, but not all songs are prayers. And not all and, prayers. And not all prayers are songs. Uh, God, I do be think, merciful to me, a sinner of the tax collector. You know, he, he's, he's not seeing that. He's just praying that. Right. He wasn't I, seeing that. What's that? <laughs> How do you know he wasn't singing that? <laughs> I, I just got that picture in my mind. He's starting to sing it with a tune. Oh, no. Hiding no, his breath, I, but not even lift up his eyes. No, you're right, of course. Do we know, yeah. do we know the tune? I do think there are songs that we sing that are worded as you would word a prayer. Um, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Um, it's worded as we would word a prayer. If we said those words in a prayer, that, that would be offered to God as a prayer. 
You know, the, uh, the underlying premise in all these comments is something you said at the outset of this little section here, Stephen, and that was that a prayer is talking to God. You know, in, in the last number of months, every time there's some tragedy, I hear an expression, our prayers and thoughts go out to the victims. What in the world are we saying? We're, what, we're praying to the victims? I think we just say that without even thinking about what a prayer is. I think there may be something else going on there, too. Have you noticed how our culture talks about Thanksgiving? Because people yes. like Thanksgiving. We yes. want Thanksgiving off. And used to Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving to God. Gave thanks to God. Yeah. Now it's let's give thanks. You know, I'm thankful to my family that such exactly. So it's a way to keep something we like, but back to this humanistic, atheistic desire yeah. to take God out of public discussion. And so they'll talk about faith. Like you have to have faith. You have to believe in. Yourself. <laughs> you know, so faith becomes faith in self. Thanks, thankful for ourselves. And so pr why not pray, you know, because we, when a politician, when something bad has happened, that's not the time what politician wants to say, don't anybody pray. Right. That's, you talk about, about prayer, prayer but you misdirect it. You get to, you get to sound, Pious, but be humanistic. Secular. Yeah, you know that I didn't look at it that way. I I, I don't have a problem with someone say, "Oh, my heart goes out to them." Right. But I want to say, "Well, my prayer goes out to them because my prayer should go to the Lord for them." Yeah. Yeah, and people, uh, I think there's times where people mean well when they talk about. Uh, sending their thoughts or sending good, good vibes. Sometimes people will kind of phrase it that way, but we have to recognize that it, it, it is an amazing thing to be able to tell someone, Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the situation. I am invoking one who has power to help things and to let change. Me throw, let me throw a wrench into this. We don't like to, and we shouldn't pray in rote, same thing over and over. I left the denominational organization years ago and they would say that same prayer over and over again. Am I violating that principle when I sing the song in a, in a songbook, which is a prayer, the same words, just praying it again? Well, it depends on whether you're thinking about what you're singing and singing it from the heart or simply um, from memory automatically regurgitating the words without thought. There's the difference. What am I thinking on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, doing things by rote can kill our prayers and it can kill our singing. In some ways, it's even more dangerous than our singing because we tend to sing the same songs and we can do it without thought. Oh, yeah. Scott? Uh, one final thought on that is just because two things are distinct doesn't think they might not be blended. Uh, speaking in tongues is something the apostles did in Acts 2, and it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Prayer is something we see Jesus talking about and doing and other people doing. But we can also see that on occasion people prayed in a tongue, 1 Corinthians 14. So two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Well, we what about, what about, well, before you get to that question that came in, I'm still talking about this one yet. Okay. What about praying in Jesus' name? 
Now, what does that mean, praying in his name? We didn't, we didn't cover that yet, did we? No. Ephesians <laughs> chapter 2. Yeah, there's, Jesus mentions in the Gospel of John, if you ask anything in my name. And in Colossians, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. So there's not a single prayer in the New Testament that ends with the words, in Jesus' name, amen. I like to end my prayers that way because uh, I, I, it is through Jesus that I have the right to do that. Uh, but it's, it's not a... Um, it's not a biblical requirement that those words be tagged on at the end of the prayer. Uh, and so just to mention two passages, one in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm looking for the verse through him we have access. There it is. Uh, verse 17. Let's start in verse 16. Uh, that he might reconcile them both in one body unto God through the cross. Verse 17, he came and preached peace. Uh, and then in verse 18, for through him, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father. We have access to God through Christ. Uh, Hebrews puts it this way. Because we have this great high priest who's died for our sins and is our intercessor, with boldness we may go before the throne. And so, so to take our prayers in the name of Jesus, that it's through his sacrifice that, that we have the right to have this relationship. So what you're saying is praying in Jesus' name is more about acknowledging that it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that I have the right to come to God than it is about praying and sending my prayer up to Jesus who gets it and then carries it over to God. And that latter concept is the concept that some have. They think praying in Jesus' name means I tell Jesus, and then he'll tell God. And he'll forward it. But, you know, it's funny the way you said that, Jeff, that uh, we have the right to pray to God through what Jesus yeah. did. Uh, there is yeah. a sense in which um, when we submit to God and we uh, are blessed with his grace in Christ, uh, we have these privileges that God has given to us that we can approach the throne of grace as Hebrews talks about with boldness. Uh, and that's, that's kind of cool to think about the, the rights that we have through Christ in a sense. Why, why we're, okay. So we're praying. We've got, we've got about 10 minutes left and we've got another question here. So why don't we go ahead and get to it now? I'm glad you brought up that, that question there. That was, that was very good. But let's yeah, go ahead. This, and get this, this question. Other one comes from Sean, right? The one you're talking yeah. about from Sean. Yeah. Why is it that the declaration only mentions an anonymous creator? Mm. How much did deism versus Christianity affect the laws made in the document? How does the declaration's deism foundation pave way for secular humanism, which now seeks to make the declaration's government-enforced inalienable rights fit their agenda? So there's kind of a lot in that question. A lot of it is kind of more historical and political, uh, but, but let's take a look at that. Uh, first off, just historically, um, did everybody that signed the Declaration of Independence believe that Jesus was the Christ and the Scriptures were the Word of God? No. no. Did, I'm sure, some of them believe that? Yes. Um, and 
what's one of the things that they're trying to avert? They're, they're saying, we're not going to keep doing what the Church of England did. We're not going to do what some in Massachusetts did. We're not going to keep doing, especially with the Bill of Rights. With the Bill of Rights, the decision is made. We're not going to keep doing this in Virginia and Massachusetts. It's going to be more like Pennsylvania and Rhode Island. So, you know, the Baptists were able to do what they wanted to do in Rhode Island. The, uh, uh, who are the peace, first people over here in Pennsylvania, uh, Jeff, religiously? Was it Quakers and, and Minnow Simmons followers and such? I, I don't know who the first were. I couldn't tell you. Uh, it'd be, but it'd be a variety of influence. Yeah. And if the law had said, you know, you can have any religion as long as it is belief in Jesus Christ, would that have been a good thing? If the law had said, you can uh, believe in Jesus Christ and define, you know, 10 other doctrines underneath there, you need to meet on the pretty soon what problem would that entail? You're dealing with some one person's kind of interpretation of things and that's being enforced across the board. Back back to the church of England type issue. Mm -hmm. So, so what you're kind of laying out is the possibility that the idea of creator uh, unspecified was trying to allow some latitude for different understandings I, I don't know to what extent that's the case and to what, yeah, extent, sure. and, and to what extent the it, the language reflected uh, the deistic thought of some of them. I'm not sure that the uh, clearly some of them were deists. Yes. I think the the extent to which they were deists and how many of them were pure deists, that is people who really didn't believe that God ever interacts with man. I'm not, I, that's somewhat overblown. I think clearly some yeah. of them were, uh, but I, I couldn't say to what extent that was behind the thinking of the choice of language, uh, referring to a creator in the declaration of independence. Right. Stephen. Yeah. I was just going to say, we might want to define for our listeners what deism is, but it's that idea that, God kind of created everything and then just let it go. And he doesn't really have any dealings with his creation or interfere with things. So, so a true deist can't believe that Jesus is the son of God, for example, because you would have God coming in and living in this world and interacting the word becoming flesh. So a true deist can't have that, uh, let alone hear prayers and respond to them. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to offer a, a, a thought along this line. There's some things going on that really, really disturb me, but I want to suggest what the solution to them is not. So it is really sad that we live in a country now where jurisdictions and states and courts are punishing people for not wanting to send flowers to a homosexual wedding. And that case happened when homosexual weddings weren't even illegal in that state. Punishing bakers who don't want to bake a cake celebrating homosexuality. Uh, This is very, there's a lot of agenda here from the left. And one of the easiest ways to see it is that they are not going after Muslim bakeries, Mm. not going after Muslim bakeries, Muslim wedding photographers, Muslim florists. Uh, And there you can go online and see fellas going into Muslim bakeries asking for a gay wedding cake. And they're told, no, go to Kroger. Uh, those aren't the people being in trouble. There's an agenda here. 
and and the nonsense of oh you can't pray before uh, it's really sad and and there is an outright attack yeah. they want they want what Richard Dawkins admitted at the end of I think the movie Expelled he said in in his uh, interview there it goes something like this we're not saying that nobody can be Christians if they want to get together on the weekend and do their little thing, kind of like the some way some people get together and have a knitting club, fine, as long as it doesn't affect the rest of their life and such. So that's one side of the point, but we're running out of time. So real quickly, the other side of the point is, even though we're disappointed to see our country go that direction, we can serve God regardless of where this country goes. And we we need to have the will to do it. I think that's yeah. what your solution was going to say we can't do, right, Scott? Well, and the solutions are, okay, we need to have prayer back in school, and I'd be happy if prayer was in school. But then, oh, it's got to be prayer in the name of Jesus. The, the Jewish kid can't pray. The Muslim kid can't pray. Oh, and, the, and then what if, we had, what if we had people with more biblical concepts, although at some point here we're going to have to wonder about those biblical concepts, and where we where – we, legislate and the prayer has to be led by somebody that doesn't believe in Calvinism, that understands baptism is for mission sins. It believes in a plurality of elders. It, it's you see what you start getting to there because in other words, now you're getting government involved again. And so what I'd like to remind us of Paul, when he went to a city, he was, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ and he spread the word, even though nobody allowed the Bible to be read in the public schools. They didn't have, you know, they, they didn't have prayers in the name of Jesus in the public schools. When Paul got to town, he talked to unbelievers all the time. He started with the Jewish unbelievers who believed in God, but not that Jesus was Messiah. And then he went to the Gentiles who believed in paganism. Paul started with unbelievers. And so before we feel very, very, very sorry for ourselves, oh, not everybody around us is already a believer. Not everybody around Paul was already a believer but he got busy and he helped bring people to believe in Christ. Amen. So, yes. It's sad. The direction our country is going, but we weren't guaranteed the inalienable right of growing up in a Christian nation where the government is Christian and Christian laws are enforced. That's not, that's not the way it is. Amen. Hi gentlemen. We're cu- we've gone past our time frame. Thank you for all of your comments and input. Thank you for the questions that came in today. We want to invite the audience to, Maybe there's a few things here that raise some questions in your mind you want to hear discussed next week. Send them in. Go to the website, BibleQuest.tv. Give us your questions. Guys, thank you very much. Thanks, guys.